Our reading today is Exodus 4, verses 1 through 23. Exodus 4, verses 1 through 23. This is the word of the Lord. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro his father-in-law and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. All right. Thanks, Christina. Well, uh, as, as most of y'all know, you know, when we, when we uh, have these texts, we were in Lamentations uh, a, few, a few weeks ago. 
Uh, and we're, we often have these long uh, scripture readings and just want to say, like, we're, we, we're okay with that, uh, to, to get to set our time to long portions of scripture reading. Sometimes it, it feels like it might be hard to, to follow along or to, to really engage, but we just want to give ourselves to the reading of God's word. So, uh, so we do that uh, often and, and plan to continue. Thanks, Christina. Um, there's a guy named uh, Frederick Beekner. He's an author and a Presbyterian minister, uh, and he once wrote about a scenario uh, in which God revealed himself in the stars. And he kind of wonders about what would it be, what would it be like if, if one day God decided just to write a message in the, in the stars and it said something like, uh, I really exist, or, or God is. And so this, this came, to, it was just written in the stars one night, and it happened repeatedly. And, and let's just say, just to make it clear that it wasn't some one-night coincidence, that it happened night after night, let's say for, for a, a few years even. And let's say it was even in different languages. It wasn't just English or another, it was just in all kinds of different languages, and there were some bursts of color and maybe some kind of celestial music that, that came along with it. And he imagines that, you know, churches might see a big, a big surge in attendance and maybe some places would have to rent out football stadiums to bring all the, all the people in. Preachers and theologians feel invalidated by this sign. And then he imagines in this story, he imagines one day, like if he was doing a movie about it, he would have this, this little kid kind of maybe smacking on some gum. And he looks up at the sign and he just says, so what? You know, so what? And he goes on to kind of explain and talk more about signs. But here's the idea, is that while signs can certainly help, they can only go so far. And one thing signs and evidence and proof can't do is change hearts. And I, I bet most of us have prayed for signs before. I mean, I have. I mean, I'm, I'm, we're not, there's all of us have come to points where we've got to make a decision. It's got to be this thing or that thing. We need something, and, uh, and we believe in God and trust God, and we ask God to give us some kind of sign for it. Sometimes God might give you a sign. Sometimes he might not. I think a lot of times we make up a sign, right, that we, we, we kind of want him to say something. Maybe we imagine a scenario that make, that's, that's the sign. Um, but whenever God really does give signs, whenever it really is God behind the sign, they're meant to serve his purposes. And so in our text today, we, we read about Moses, and Moses is given a sign. And, and while the sign will help Moses to do what God is calling him to do, the, the sign that he's given is not the, the goal. Like as we read this text, the signs that were given, that's not the goal. And, and Moses having success on this mission God has given him, that's not even the goal either. The, the goal in God giving signs and calling Moses and everything he's doing is this. It's the glory of God. Now, now you might think I'm just kind of saying this, but it, it, this is going to emerge from the text. So, so the three points I want to consider today as we look at this text is this, is that as we look at this passage, God will give Moses signs. God will give Moses Aaron and God will harden Pharaoh's heart. So first, God will give Moses signs. So if you're in Exodus 4, turn back to uh, Exodus chapter 3, and you'll see in 16 to 22, God's telling Moses to go and tell the people of Israel that God is promising them that he's going to bring them out of, uh, out of the affliction of Egypt that they're in. He's going to take them to Canaan, which is famously known as the promised land. And then he's to go to Pharaoh and ask him to release his people, Israel. 
And then we read Moses' response in 4, verse 1. So look at it again with me. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Now let's look at what God says to Moses in 4, 2 through 9. So verse 2 says, The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside the cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Verse 8, if they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even those, these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on dry ground. So God is giving Moses these signs. First, with his staff becoming a snake and going from snake back to a staff. And God made his hand go leprous, uh, then back to normal. Then when he goes to Egypt, he says, take some water from the Nile. You're going to pour it out. It's going to turn into blood. So God is giving Moses these signs. One, so Moses will know that God is with him. And two, so that Pharaoh will know that God is with Moses. Now, when you read these kind of passages about these miracles that are happening, you might wonder, why doesn't this happen anymore? And, and this could even be a stumbling block to your faith because you're thinking, you know, I see these miracles throughout the Bible, and, and that just doesn't seem consistent with what I see, you know, in, in my life or, or, or today. And so, so it seems like where miracles are normative in the Bible and almost completely absent today, why is that? Why don't we see miracles today? And look, it's a good question, and it's a question that we all need to have an answer to. Justin Holcomb uh, is a pastor in Orlando, also a junk professor at RTS. He said this in an article he wrote about miracles. He said this. He said, Miracles are often significant because they serve a larger purpose in God's redemptive plan, testifying to the authenticity of God's messengers who bring his revelation to humanity. This is one of the primary functions of miracles in the scriptural narrative. When miracles occur, they give evidence that God is truly at work and so serve to advance the gospel. Miracles authenticate God's message and his messengers. So when you're reading the Bible, you're largely reading about God's prophets and at least God's messengers. And so why should anybody listen to these? Why should anyone listen to Moses? Moses was right to think, who am I that anybody would listen to me? He's right. Like, who are you that, that, that anybody should listen to you? And so God gave Moses these signs to validate him as a prophet. And so one reason we might not see miraculous signs as much today is that God has already validated his messengers and his message through, through miracles that we read about throughout the scripture as these prophets were being validated. Another big one is the prophetic word, how God calls the end from the beginning, how so much of what God said hundreds of years before it came to pass, he, he called it before it happened. And then to, to me, the, the biggest one is the resurrection. So, so why aren't there miracles anymore? Like God was validating his message throughout the scriptures as, as they were being written. These are God's messengers and, and he has done enough. 
There doesn't need to be any more miracles or any more proof that we need to validate his message. In his kindness, we'll often see these things, miracles, but, but it is no longer needed to validate his message. He's done enough. And so God was with Moses. People needed to know that God was with Moses so they would listen to him. God was going to give him these signs so that they would know that Moses was from God and was speaking for God. But that's not all God did for Moses in this process. Apparently, Moses struggled with his speech. So God would give Moses Aaron to help him speak. This is my second point. As we see in the text, God will give Moses Aaron. So look at uh, chapter 4, verse 10 through 16. Starting in verse 10 says this, But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who has made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with your, mouth, with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as a God to him. So apparently Moses was not a great speaker. Side note, neither was the Apostle Paul. He mentions a couple times throughout the scripture that he was not uh, eloquent of speech. And so that tells us something, that, that two of God's main messengers in the Old and New Testament weren't known to be great speakers. <laughs> Maybe that just especially encourages me, but you should be encouraged by that too. But with Moses, some think he might have had some kind of speech impediment. Maybe it was a stutter. Uh, it could have been that his Hebrew was a little bit rusty, or it could have been that his Egyptian was a little bit rusty. But either way, Moses believed in his bones that he was not a good choice to be a spokesperson for God. And so Moses makes his case that he's not a good choice to, to do this, to be a messenger. He says, talks about his, his speech impediment. And then what does God say in verse 11? Look at verse 11. He says, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So he's saying, look, I've made mouths. I make people to speak or to be mute. And he's basically saying, Moses, go out and do what I told you to do. And then Moses says this, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. And then what happens after Moses says that in verse 14? It says that the anger of the Lord was kindled probably because of Moses' unbelief. Now, what would you expect to happen after Moses, and presumably this is unbelief, and he, he kindles the anger of the Lord? What do you think is about to happen? Maybe, maybe thunder? It's going to crash down and, and, and Moses kind of blows back? Maybe lightning or something like that? It's not what happens. We read the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and then you know what happened? God helps Moses. He gives him Aaron to help him. God could have used Moses without Aaron. You understand that God doesn't need Aaron. He, he makes them out to speak or not to speak. God didn't need Aaron. Moses' request 
was not a very honorable request. It was a request made out of unbelief. Moses didn't need Aaron. God didn't need Aaron. God was calling Moses to go, and God still gave him Aaron. Now, we often think that if we don't need something, God won't give it. And that is often true. And surely there is nothing that we need that he withholds. But it is not unlike our God to give us what we think we need when we might not really even need it. You hear what I'm saying? So sometimes we don't really need something, and, 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 and we ask for it. We don't need this thing because God can do it without this, and God gives it anyway when we don't even need it. And, and I think there's a word for that. You know what I think a good word for that is? Kindness. It's the kindness of God. And if I can be kind of silly for a minute, you know what we don't need? We don't need chocolate. Don't need ice cream or, or a hot cup of coffee on a cool morning. This morning was 61 degrees, by the way. It's a good sign. But, but anyway, we, we, don't, we don't need those things. But God gives us to us anyway. Do you know why? Because he's kind. There's things that we don't need but things we might enjoy or things that might help us not feel scared. And out of God's kindness, he gives us these things. Every parent's the same way. When, when I was a kid, I remember being a little kid, and man, I felt a lot better. I had one of those closets that was kind of a half shutter and it had a light inside. Man, I felt a lot better if that closet light was on. I mean, I'd close the shutter and light would kind of poke out, and, and I did not need that light. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't pitch black without, I mean, I could see without... I just felt better with it. It, it all, all it did was cost money. There's no good reason to leave that light on. And you know why my parents let me keep the light on? Just kindness. I, I didn't need it to be on. It was just kind. And, and all parents do this. There's a lot of things we give our children that they don't necessarily need, but we just do it out of kindness. And no doubt some of us parents can lose our way in this, and this becomes central, and that becomes its own disaster, right? But there's just a sense where when we give just out of kindness, not what they need, it's like a good parent to do that. And this is what we see here. God is so kind that, that he doesn't need Aaron. Moses doesn't need Aaron. But you know what God does? He gives him Aaron. Moses is a little scared. Moses has a little bit of unbelief. He'll feel a lot better if, if I let Aaron jump on board with this. And he does it out of his kindness. You know, God's kindness is, is, is one of the reasons that you're even saved. And now when I say that, when I say that God's kindness is the reason that you're even saved, here's where your, I bet your mind goes. I bet your mind goes to the cross, and you'd be right, right? But that's not what I'm talking about. That's true, but that's not where I'm going with this. God was certainly kind to save us as sinners. But what I'm talking about is something a bit different. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and I want to look at verse 6 and 7. Because certainly it was God's kindness that saved us at the cross, no doubt. But I'm talking about something different that has to do with the present into the future into eternity. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. So read that God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And this is that famous Ephesians 2 passage talking about how God saves us. And then verse 7, we see a so that. So here, so that here's one of the reasons that God saved you. If you're saved, verse 7 is going to tell you one of the reasons that God saved you. 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God saved you not just to get you out of hell. God saved you to show off his immeasurable riches of kindness to you now and forever. Our God is kind. He saved you to be kind to you, to shower you with immeasurable kindness. Our God is kind and is glorified in doing so. Now, back to Moses. God does not need Aaron's help for Moses to do what he's calling him to do, but God responds to Moses' insecurity and gives him a spokesperson, Aaron. Moses does not speak well. Aaron does speak well. So Aaron will serve as, as the spokesperson. And this is how the church works today. You know, the, the church is often described in the Bible as a body, like having body parts and members of, of the body. And all parts of the body work together. Uh, last year we were in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says this, talking about spiritual gifts. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So every Christian... If you are a Christian, if you believe in Christ and follow Jesus, then you've been given a spiritual gift, a gift, a, a manifestation of the Spirit. And what did Jesus call the Spirit? The, the helper. So you've been given a unique gift that God has given you, and it's meant to serve and help others. That means, so Moses had Aaron. God sent Aaron to, to Moses to help Moses out. And that means if you are a Christian, then you are somebody's Aaron probably a lot of people's Aaron. And sometimes you might be someone's Aaron to give them what they need in the time that they need it. They might have a real need and God is going to use you to meet this need. Other times you might be someone's Aaron to give them what they don't necessarily need. But you know what? What is it? What did God save us for? One of the things he saved us for was to shower us with immeasurable kindness. And so one of the ways you might be an heir to someone is to shower them with God's immeasurable kindness. We know he's eager to do that. And, and I'm happy to say that, that we have an army of errands at Redeemer Church. So many of you have done so many sweet things for people in this church and outside of the church. And, and since I have a front row seat to see it, I know it's your joy to do it, that you couldn't be stopped in doing these things. And the reason you can't be stopped in do these, doing these things is the manifestation of the Spirit of God in you. It's what you're designed and made to do. So you should know that you are being used by God like Aaron was. You are manifesting the Spirit of God at Redeemer Church. And many, especially me, are grateful. So, so God has given Moses signs. He gave Moses Aaron. Everything's set. We got the signs. So, so Pharaoh's going to know that Moses is legit. Moses doesn't feel good about a speech. Got Aaron. He's, he's, he's a great speaker. So, so everything's set, right? Moses just needs to go to Egypt, talk to Pharaoh, and say, let Israel go. And we should be good, right? There's one problem, though. Somebody's about to get in the way. Moses is going to go. He's going to ask Pharaoh, say, let my people go. And somebody's going to get in the way. And y'all know who it is? It's God. God's going to get in the way here. My third point, God will harden Pharaoh's, uh, harden Pharaoh's heart. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 21 to 23. Verse 21 says, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh 
all the miracles that I've put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord Israel my, is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that we may, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart for a specific reason. The specific reason is this. God does not want Pharaoh to say yes when Moses asked him to let his people go. Why would God call Moses to go make a request to Pharaoh and then do something in Pharaoh's heart that would make him say no to what he called Moses to go and do and ask him to do? We get a clue in chapter 3, verse 19. Turn to chapter 3, Exodus 3, verse 19. We get a clue to what God's doing. Exodus 3, verse 19 says this, But I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless what? Unless compelled by a mighty hand. Pharaoh's not going to let Israel go with Moses just asking nicely or even doing miracles or even if Aaron is incredibly persuasive. And here's the thing. God wants to show his mighty hand. And the way he's going to get there is by hardening Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh will say no. Even after seeing signs, even after having seeing these things done, God wants Pharaoh to say no so that he can show his mighty hand. In one of my all-time favorite movies, Braveheart, there's this scene right after the famous speech where he says, they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Uh, and then he's, uh, they're, they're on the battlefield with the English. And so, uh, and so two of the, the guys that are, that are with William Wallace are going to go uh, right off on their horses to go negotiate terms of peace. And, and William Wallace kind of stays back. And then he's about to ride off, and he's going to be a part of this conversation going on about uh, negotiating terms of peace. And, and right when he's about to, to, to ride off, his buddies say, where are you going? And he says, I'm going to pick a fight. That was my attempt at Scottish. But he's like, I'm going to pick a fight. And so he, he goes down there. If you know the movie, you know, he goes and he just offers these ridiculous terms and that there's no way. Like he, he is picking a fight. And, and we should be clear in Exodus with God and Pharaoh, God is picking a fight. He doesn't want Pharaoh to, to, to be cool right here. He wants Pharaoh to be a jerk. And the reason is he wants to show his mighty hand. And, and in, the, in the Exodus story, we see two things happening with one goal. Pharaoh is going to become a vessel of God's wrath. And the people of Israel will be a vessel of God's mercy. Both will serve towards one goal, and it's the glory of God. Pharaoh was raised up to this position of power for this purpose. Consider, uh, uh, turn to Romans chapter 9. Uh, in Romans 9, we're actually going to quote Exodus 9, but I just want you to go and get there. Romans 9, 17, Paul writes this, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might, sh that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And so, so Paul's saying that, that Pharaoh was raised up so that God's name would be proclaimed in all the earth. God's name doesn't get proclaimed throughout all the earth if Pharaoh's heart is not hardened. And continuing the thought, Paul goes on to say this in Romans 9, 22 and 23. He says this, he says, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, 
in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. So in the end, every person you have ever met, every person you will ever meet, every person on campus, every person in your hometown, every person where you will ever live falls into one of two categories. They are a vessel of wrath prepared for destruction, or they are a vessel of mercy. Either way, God's getting glorified. For those of us who have believed the gospel, repented of our sins, and trust in what Jesus has done, be encouraged. Because what we've seen is God intends to glorify himself in showering you in the riches of his grace and kindness, now and in the age to come. And for those who might have a heart that is cold towards God, like that, that child I mentioned in the beginning who, who sees this sign written in the stars that God is real. And look, here's the thing. As Romans 1 says, we, the, the sinful heart suppresses the truth. God's done enough from creation to miracles, to the prophetic word, to the resurrection. God's done enough. Uh, if, if you feel like you need to see a miracle to believe, you, you don't. He, he's done enough. He's revealed himself all that he needs to. And for any who would, who would reject it now, they're just suppressing the truth of God, as Romans 1 says. And so with a heart that gets there and that sees all this and that says, so what? May I invite you to turn and believe the good news about Jesus. He, took, he became a vessel of God's wrath on the cross for our sake. And so that, turning to believe the gospel, to follow Jesus, you might glorify God in his kindness towards you rather than in his wrath towards you. And so in, in concluding, let me just say these three things. Our God is real. He's proved himself over and over. Nothing else is required for belief. Secondly, our God is kind. One reason he saved you is not just to, 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 to get you out of hell. One reason he saved you was to show you the immeasurable riches of his kindness. Third, our God will be glorified. No matter what happens, this is what everything in the world is working towards. And this is really good news for us who believe because he's glorified not in his wrath towards us, but in his kindness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for preserving this word for thousands of years as you made your mighty hand known throughout the world in this day. It has traveled through time to us here in 2020. And we look upon the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We see how you worked redemptively through history and ultimately sending your son. And we are grateful that we can be vessels of mercy rather than vessels of wrath through the work of your son, Jesus Christ. Would you help that to sink into our hearts and our minds? And would you help us to follow you? In Jesus, in your name that we pray. Amen.